Romans chapter 6, verse number 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, your minds, your eyes, your hands, your hearts, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now... Being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the declaration of your word, the interpretation of your word, the reception of of your word. Speak to hearts, whether we be children of God or not. May Christ be glorified, we pray in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When I was a child, my parents, like thousands of others, were terrified by an epidemic that was sweeping through the world. COVID had not been invented yet. And the Spanish flu had run its course. But this was just as frightening. I remember shortly after moving to Denver from Nebraska, my sister and I were taken to the school down on the corner of Grant Street and Garland Drive. I believe it was called Holstrom Elementary. I do remember some things. It's just amazing what I remember and what I don't. Anyway, at Holstrom Elementary, we were given a little cup of liquid vaccine. I expected it to be terrible. It really wasn't all that bad. My parents had been told that the Sabin oral vaccine would protect us from polio. And for all I know, it did. Poliomyelitis has been killing and crippling children from perhaps the Noah's grandchildren. It's been around here for a very, very long time. But its symptoms were first described in 1789 by an English physician named Michael Underwood. Sixty years later, the medical community formally recognized polio as a virus-caused disease. In the 40s and the 50s, I was born in the 40s, in the 40s and 50s, more than half a million kids throughout the world were crippled or killed by polio every year, year after year after year, for 20 years or more. And in this country, in just three years, from 1953 to 1955, there were 119,000 cases with 6,600 deaths from polio in this country. Polio is a highly contagious virus that has been beaten down in most recent years. 
It's still around. It's going to be around until the Lord uh, renovates this place by fire. But it's basically confined to the third world in, in these days. It attacks the spinal cords of its victims, causing paralysis, beginning in the legs. But the damage can rise up the spine to the point that uh, a kid's lungs no longer expand and contract. In my childhood, thousands of children spent time in machines that helped their chest to rise and fall, drawing in that necessary oxygen that we have to have in which to live. And when that failed, or when there was not an iron lung available, those children died. It was a fatal disease. I know two people who were struck with polio in their childhoods who have lived to, to, to talk about it. One is a good friend of mine. The wristwatch that I wear was a gift that he gave to me uh, a few years ago. When we first met, he was severely limited, but he was able to get around on crutches. He would come to church and go to school and do other things. The last time I saw him, he was using a wheelchair, if I remember correctly. He's a small man, by that I mean small, but he had a massive chest and big arms from using these crutches. He was well exercised in that department. He is now married, but uh, I don't, he doesn't have any children, perhaps because of his polio. I don't know that for a fact. The other man I'll call an acquaintance. I met him 40 years ago, and today I see him from time to time on Facebook. He too is a, a tiny man. In one recent picture, he's propped up on crutches between two other preachers, and the one I'm referring to was half the size as the other two men. Today, that second man is a Baptist preacher. He's an author. When I first met him, he was a wonderful singer. He wrote his own music. He plays the piano very well. He's very accomplished. He appears to have a very positive attitude when it comes to his uh, incarceration in Egypt, in his, uh, in his limitations. I would like to take an old, old sermon, line, uh, sermon outline and put it into uh, a polio victim's wheelchair. Twice in Romans 6, Paul makes the statement that Christians are free from sin. Free from sin. That's a glorious thought. Free from sin. Praise the Lord. Free from sin. It's similar to what my friends might think about if freedom from polio was possible. Sadly, some people have taken that statement of Paul and run rampant with it, like some sort of naked streaker running through town. The freedom to which Paul refers needs to be properly understood. It's not a blanket statement there. For example, it's not freedom from uh, utter lawless. It's not utter lawlessness. Let me rephrase that. That is the theme of this morning's message. 
I ask that we read from John 5, which we preached from not too long ago. Because that man whom Jesus healed may have been suffering from polio. We're not told. As I said a moment ago, poliomyelitis has been around for a very, very long time. It was in the world during the days of the Lord Jesus. And it causes paralysis, impotency in victims' legs before it moves on to other things. The man whom Jesus healed had been impotent for 38 years. But that Sabbath day, he walked home rejoicing. He got out of his wheelchair, so to speak. He threw his crutches aside and he went home unencumbered by the disease that had laid him low for nearly four decades. When Paul told his Christian friends that they were free from sin, there were things to which he did not refer. The context explains exactly what he meant. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But at this point, I'd like to, us to consider what the, what the apostle did not mean. For instance, those people hadn't yet been delivered from the sin nature in which they had been born. Just as they came into the world human beings, and not turkeys or anteaters, they were born sinners. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, referring to the sin of Adam. No one has ever become a sinner by sinning. We sin because we are sinners by nature. That cute little baby, three days old, is a sinful thing. And who knows where that sin nature is going to take that child. Just as our parents were born mortal, beginning life in the process of dying, so are all their children and grandchildren. You and me. That three-day-old baby is dying because of the effects of that sin nature. It may take a hundred years, but he's in the process. And many of our parents are no longer with us. Mine have died. Perhaps yours have as well. They died not because of some terrible sin they committed. They died nevertheless because they were sinners. That's the way it is. There is a horrible corruption that flows out of our native sinfulness. A corruption which is fatal. 100%. Romans 5.12 Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Again referring to Adam's sin. Romans 5.17, for by one man's offense, sin against God, death reigned over all, all of Adam's children and grandchildren. Death follows everyone in every place where sin is king. And sin is king 
in every heart, every heart. If I may illustrate it this way, this is just an illustration, we're all polio victims. We may walk around with little obvious ill effect from this infection, but still we are infected with the virus and we are dying. We may be on the very verge of death. We may be confined to a spiritual iron lung trying to pump physical life into our bodies. Or we may be on spiritual crutches in a wheelchair or lying at the edge of the pool of Bethesda. But we are all victims of our own sin nature. Paul, in Romans 6, is not telling us that we are free from our sin nature. It's still there. And second, there was not one Christian believer in Rome, the people who first read this letter, who had become sinless in some sort of practical sense. There are many Christian religionists who claim sinlessness. But they have to twist some scriptures and ignore a great many others in order to profess that sort of thing in their church services. I have known people who made the claim of sinlessness. But I also saw they couldn't justify their claim in the way that they lived. In other words, I could see sin in their lives. For example, there was one person that I worked with very closely for a number of years over at the Coeur Mall. That person was not sinless, although the claim was made. Even if she was a true child of God, she was nothing more than a redeemed sinner. The Apostle John reminds us all if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Not only have all sinned and come short of the glory of God in the past, but we are still living in fleshly bodies which are perpetually perpetrating sinful deeds. Our hearts are wicked, prone to wickedness, desperately wicked. Our minds, our brains are constantly filled with vain thoughts and wicked imaginations and sinful plans. Our tongues are so quick to vocalize our sinfulness that our teeth and our lips aren't able to shut quickly enough to, to keep the tongue from yattering. Our throats are open sepulchers and septic systems filled with deception and cursing and bitterness. All this is in Romans chapter 3. There is none that doeth good, not one. We're sinners. We may be children of God, by the grace of the Lord, regenerated and redeemed. Redeemed sinners. If I may put it this way, we are enslaved to our wheelchairs and crutches. And as we roll down the street and across the parking lot, our very condition tells the world we are, we are polio people. We don't have to be rolling into a tavern. 
We don't have to be crutching our way into a pot store or a gambling den. Just by looking at us, people can see, if they're observant, that we are sinners, just like they are. I'm probably confusing the point, perhaps beyond reconciliation, but uh, what I'm trying to say is this. A saint of God is nothing more than a sinner who's been saved by God's marvelous grace. But there is a very large difference between him and those of you who have not been born again. The Christian has been made free from certain other aspects of sin in which you are still bound. Thus far, he has escaped death, to which polio leads, but hopefully he has tossed aside his crutches at the command of Christ and, by the grace of God, walked away from Bethesda. Despite these effects of sin, there are other aspects from which the Christian has been freed. That's what Paul is talking about here. For example, he or she has been freed from the condemnation of his sin. Sin, like uh, poliomyelitis, is a very deadly disease. If I can use that word. It, it kills its host. This virus is deadly. The initial symptoms of the disease, polio, very much like great many others. You've experienced them. Fever, fatigue, headaches, vomiting. But then it moves into stiffness in the neck. Well, you've experienced that too, haven't you? And then pain in the limbs. Finally, the pain develops into that spreading paralysis, which left untreated kills its victims. And the Bible makes it very clear that the ultimate effect of sin, after ruining a person's day-to-day -day life, it kills him. The last verse in our text should be sufficient to prove the point. The wages of sin, death. I've already quoted Paul in Romans 5. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, with all have sinned. For by one man's offense against God, death has reigned over humanity since the beginning of time. God told our first father, in the day you sin against me, you will die. And he did. God said to Ezekiel, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the father, so also the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Yes. Ezekiel 18.4. James tells us that like the polio virus, when sin is finished, it produces death. Chapter 1, verse number 15. Sin is 100% efficient in killing its host. However, just as our Savior raised the bodies of people physically dead or healed 
the polio victims, he has also resurrected the dead spirits of countless condemned sinners. Every one of them, like Nicodemus or this man at Bethesda, had been cursed by his sin before he was saved. But Christ delivers from the condemnation of that sin. He delivers from that eternal death, even though he may be on crutches for the rest of his life. Galatians 3.13 describes how sinners are saved. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, which in effect is the curse of sin, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ in his flesh bare our sins in his own body on the tree that is on the cross, that being dead to sins, we should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. 1 Peter 2.24 And Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. 1 Peter 3.18 as an illustration, I might say that Christ Jesus, the Son of God, became incarnate for this purpose. The second person of the Godhead took on him a mortal body, exposing himself to the fatal virus. He was not a sinner himself, neither by nature nor by deed. But he deliberately set himself in the way of sin's ultimate judgment. He could have thrown off that disease just as he healed others, but he chose to carry it to its ultimate end. Christ died. For a time, he endured pain, limitations, crutches, the indignities of, of humanity, laughing at him in his weakness, that sort of thing. But it was for a reason. He was hated. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. He had the hair of his face plucked out. His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Isaiah 52, 14. He had no form, nor comeliness, no beauty. And when men looked on him, there was no beauty that gave any natural eye a desire for him. Isaiah 53, in verse number 2. And when he died, it was for the purpose of freeing his elect people from the condemnation of their sin. There are approximately 50 scriptures which declare the believer's condemnation for sin is gone. Freed from the condemnation of sin. There's Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus himself said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, 
but it's passed from death unto life. Going back to my illustration, we polio victims confined to our iron lungs just to keep life in our bodies have been given eternal life, special spiritual life by the grace of God. And perhaps we've been freed from that iron lung only to walk about with crutches, wheelchair. We have believed the gospel report and we've humbly put our faith in Christ for eternal life. We are free from the condemnation of sin even if we're not free from other aspects of sin. We are still confined to the crutches and wheelchairs of our sin-riddled bodies. And this brings me back to our text in Romans 6. As born-again people, we ought to be free from the enslavement of sin. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We should be freed from that servitude. Verses 11 and 12. Likewise reckon also yourself, ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are freed. Live like it, Paul is saying. Here's where my... Already complicated illustration gets even more complicated. I just about threw this away. <laughs> Both my polio victims are Christians. Believers in Christ. And I expect that to see them one of these days in heaven without their crutches. Yes. Without their wheelchairs. One of them works for a branch of the government of Canada. The other is a gospel preacher the pastor of a Baptist church in Ohio, if anybody needs to know. As I say, both are confined to their virus-ravaged bodies, and they will be until the Lord calls them to himself. But they are trying to use their lives and their bodies for the glory of the Savior. I haven't spent time with either of them recently, so I can only judge from a distance. But I would say that they are living above their limitations. They're living above their crutches. They get out of bed each morning. They move their tiny bodies to perhaps a wheelchair, get around the house, get the day going. Then they do as much as any of the rest of us. Do as much as any Christian to live a life pleasing to the Savior who gave his life for them. One pushes himself to the piano and writes and sings hymns to the glory of the Savior. He rolls himself into his study where he pours as many hours into sermon preparation that I do. And later on the Lord's Day, he crutches his way to the pulpit, and there he preaches the gospel of Christ 
to a bunch of polio-ridden sinners like us. I would hope that both men employ their limited bodies and lives to bring others to Christ. Paul is telling us as God's children, this is what you're supposed to do. You may be in an Egyptian prison. Glorify God in that prison. You may be entombed in a wheelchair. Use that wheelchair for the glory of the Lord. There's no greater service, there's no greater opportunity than to be an ambassador for the Savior. And a straight body and strong legs are not essential to that. I'm not saying they're not helpful. But they're not essential. And even if the virus has not devastated you and me as much as it has others, we are still limited in some ways. One necessity for service is freedom from the actual enslavement of our former sins. This is Paul's message in chapter 6. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Being made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. Serve there in God's strength. Throw aside the effects of that sin virus and live to the glory of your Savior. After this kind of freedom from sin, there is one other aspect. One of these days, the Lord Jesus will visit our Bethesda, and he will say, Rise, take up thy bed, and come home with me. It may be, that will be the day when our uh, uh, physical heart stops beating and our physical lungs no longer function. Or it might be on the day when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and, and we which are alive and remain on the earth shall be caught up together with others to be with the Lord forever without crutches, without wheelchairs. Either way, we will leave these implements behind we will leave the effects of our sinful Miletus here on earth to be consumed in the fiery judgment that the Lord will put on all of the curse. In that day, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John chapter 3. As Paul said in Philippians 3.21, he shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. There's a day coming when we will be freed from the presence of sin and the effects of the curse. The polio effects will be gone. What a day that will be when... Jesus, I shall see. What a glorious day that will be. It's perhaps not very far away. Yes. I can only imagine the agony that fell on my two friends in those early days when the polio virus began to invade their bodies. At first, they probably gave it little attention. I've had these symptoms before. In the same sort of way that 
many people give very little concern to the, the early sins in their lives. Everybody does it. I can throw it aside if I want. But then the symptoms became worse and worse until there were things that my friends could no longer do, play basketball. In fact, their sin became so bad that there were even certain aspects of sin that they could not do. They even out-sinned their sin, out-virused their virus. Then at some point, their hearts became, for these two, their hearts became as broken as their bodies were. Probably for a time, they became absolutely miserable, knowing what had struck them and knowing what the virus had in store for them, what it could yet do. How important it is that people infected with sin come to realize how desperately infected they are, how wicked they are. They need to learn that there's no human surgery. There's no religious medicine to cure them. They need to become like the impotent man at Bethesda, aware that there is no man, there is no human doctor, there is no earthly priest that can help them. I have no man to put me in the water. They need to realize, we all need to realize that there's only one escape from the ravages of this disease. The Savior, Amen. the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not been born again, you are going to die a horrible, sin-riddled death. And then you're going to hear the word guilty. You have been accused in the Word of God. You have been arraigned in the sight of the law. You have been convicted. And soon, eventually, you will hear the word guilty. Pronounced guilty. You may be lying at the poolside, hopelessly impotent. But the healer is here. Christ is here. Beside you this morning. Listen to what he says. Wilt thou be made whole? Don't you want to be free from this? Aren't you interested? Don't you want spiritual health? Eternal life? I implore you. Call out to Him. Lord, save me. Acknowledge your sinful Miletus. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. Humble yourself before the great physician. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He will save you. Do it today. There's still life in your body. There's still hope. One day... You'll be among those 6,600 who died in 54. You're going to die. You need a Savior. Amen. Please stand. Mm.